Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. If we really want to improve our relationships, the best place to start is by focusing on the change that we can make within ourselves. So I want to continue with that theme that we've been in. And, and rather than talk about setting up boundaries, what I want to talk about today is mending fences. I want to talk about really building bridges. I want to talk about how to reconcile. And, and the truth is, I think this is the most important uh, teaching in this entire series. That if this is the only one you, you got, this is probably the most important one. Because you'll never have a great relationship if you don't learn how to deal with offense and how to reconcile. So to do that, I want us to look at a verse of scripture today. This is going to start us off in Matthew chapter 5, and then we'll build out from here. But in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, Jesus is talking. I'm reading from the message translation. And he says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Do not lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. So I want to speak to you from this subject of reconciliation. And I'm titling this message today, if you're taking notes, three little words. Three little words. Would you pray with me? I want to ask for God's help and then we'll get in to this message. God, we thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Thank you, God, that you speak every time we open up your word. And we're asking, God, that you would do it again today. We don't take this for granted, God. We come because we need to hear from you and we need wisdom for our relationships and wisdom for our life. So God, speak to us now. Use me. I ask, God, that it wouldn't just be my ideas or opinions, but God, it would be your word that goes forth, that you'll personalize it and individualize it to each person here. We know that you will, God, and we believe it. And everybody who agrees with that can say, Amen. Hey, how many of you are married? Anybody married here? Married people? Anybody newly married, like within the last year? Newly married people? All right. Oh, newly married people, kind of, a little bit, a little bit. Well, um, my wife and I, we've been married for 14 years. And uh, yeah, 14 years, it's, it's, uh, it's great. It's been great. And within that, um, I, I've learned a few things. Thank the Lord for that. And uh, I don't know how to say this exactly. I'm always kind of a little nervous introducing this in, a, in, in an audience like this. Because, like, I love, love, love my wife. But it's just, if I could say it, I don't want to speak, like, in general. I'll speak for my wife. But I would say, like, like ladies, how many, like, you know, girls can be complicated. Now, guys, don't clap for that. Don't, do not clap for that. Don't shout for I know you wanted to shout. But, but you, you can't shout because you're sitting next to somebody, so, so don't want to do that. But um, it's, it's just that, how, how can I say it? Well, 
here's what's like, I've, I've learned some different principles. Like every year of marriage, I feel like I learn a new thing and like I learn more and more. And truthfully, the more I learn, the more I realize that I didn't know that much to begin with. But one of the things I've, I have learned in marriage, and, and ladies, this is a place where you can clap and shout if you agree with me, that, that with, within your relationship, it's not really what you say, but it's how you say it. Is that right? Would you clap for that? Would you clap for that? I don't, that was kind of a weak clap. You're like, yeah, you've already offended us. We're not going to go any, we're not going with you on anything. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And um, I, I've just learned this, and, and I'll tell you kind of case in point. Like, it's funny, like my wife, one of her favorite things to do is, uh, is go shopping for new clothes. I don't think that's unique to her. I mean, I think a lot of us like to do that. But, um, you know, I'm so glad, like, things have changed within our 14 years of marriage because it used to be like she would always want to take me with her when she went shopping for new clothes, which was so incredibly awkward because basically what would happen is we'd go to the store, you know, I'd be following behind. She'd just be like grabbing everything that's coming, you know, like taking it into the dressing room. And then I'm left like sitting outside on that bench, which is really awkward. Like, why is this guy sitting outside the dressing room? This guy's totally creepy. I'm like, no, it's cool. I know somebody in there, like for real. I'm not just hanging out here, but it's really awkward. I'm glad she doesn't make me do that anymore. But now, instead of taking me shopping, she just takes my debit card, which is um, better for me, worse for our budget. And uh, typically what will happen is uh, I find out about this when she goes to try and close. So, so she'll come out of the closet and she'll be wearing something. And uh, she, my first initial thought is like, where did that come from? Because if you remember, like she owns nine-tenths of our closet. She has more places to hide stuff in there. But I'm thinking, where in the world did this come from? But I don't say that because I've learned because 14 years of marriage. But uh, she'll, she'll come out and she'll, she'll ask me this question. She'll be like, hey, how does this look? Now, normally what I would say is that looks good because you got to, like, good to a man means good. Like, I mean, if good was good enough for God in the beginning when he said, I've created heavens and I saw that it was, you would think it would be good enough for my wife. But no, good is not good because to her, good doesn't mean good. Good means average. Good means mediocre. And nobody wants to be wearing something that's mediocre. So I've learned now that when, when she comes out and she asks, hey, how does this look? What she's really asking is that if I like it, she wants me to lose my ever-loving mind. Like, like if, if I really like it, what she wants me to say is, girl, there is a God in heaven. That looks amazing. Girl, Spinner, I hope you got two of those. I hope you got 20 of those. You know what? Just go back to the store and get some more. Like, that is amazing. That's what she, and if I do that, she's like, oh, you mean you like it? That's what she, that's what she means. How many know words matter? Words matter. Well, you know, just like I can be trying to say the right thing and not communicate what's in my heart, I've noticed that when it comes to an apology, lots of us, can try to apologize and not do it the right way. Have you ever noticed that before? There's a, a right way and a wrong way to apologize. And just like we can say the right thing and not have it be heard, we can apologize and not have it be right either. In fact, I would tell you, we live in the day of the non-apology. What is a non-apology? 
It's where you're not apologizing while you're trying to apologize. And just to be clear, if it is a non-apology, it is not an apology. And that's what jumped out to me about this text because Jesus said, hey, you got to understand the words that we say, it matters. It's not just what you say, it's, it's really what you're saying. It matters. And you got to understand in the context, Jesus here, he's, he's speaking to some paradigms that his audience had held on to. He's saying, I, I know you've heard this, but I, I'm going to take that and raise the bar. I'm going to set a new standard. I know you've been holding on to this, but I need you to see that before something manifests in your life, it first takes shape in your heart. That's what he's getting at. He says, hey, there's this command. You shouldn't murder anyone. Anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. But here's what I'm telling you, that anyone who so much is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot. Let me say this again for my son. Carelessly call a brother idiot. And you might find yourself hauled into the court of dad. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. He goes on to say that our words are so important that when we mess up with our words, that even if we're in the middle of worship, we would be better served by turning around and making it right. He says, this is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Now, normally when you come to church and the pastor tells you he's gonna give a message on reconciliation, what, what most people hear and, and the route it typically takes is it's a message on your need to forgive. And that's appropriate because honestly, most of the problems in our relationships, we let offenses take root in our lives. And because we never deal with them, we hold on to this offense. We hold on to unforgiveness in our hearts the relationship never gets better, never becomes what it can be. And while it's impossible to have reconciliation without talking about forgiveness, rather than talk about your need to forgive today, I wanna to talk about your need to apologize, really to apologize correctly. Now, I do need to preface what I'm saying by pointing out that this isn't always an, an opportunity. This isn't always possible. There's lots of reasons for that. Sometimes uh, it would be the fact that this person is no longer in your life. I mean, it could be that they passed away. It could be that they've moved on. It could be that you're not on speaking terms based off their preference, not on yours. It, it could be uh, for legal reasons. There's a whole multitude of reasons why you might not be able to do this because it does take two to reconcile. It only takes one to forgive. But I also wanna point out to you that Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 18, that if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so what I would tell you, I don't wanna neglect the fact that we have responsibility to forgive, but sometimes we only focus on that and we forget the fact that we have a responsibility to apologize. And I, I would tell you that the, the truth is most of the time it is possible. He says, 
if it's possible, as much as it depends on you. In other words, it's not always going to be possible, but when it is, you need to live at peace with everyone. And so I would tell you that it depends on us that we, we need to get good at, good at this. Now, apologizing is not something that would be necessary if we lived in a perfect world, if everything was as it should be, if we never messed up, if we never sinned, then it, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't need a sermon on apologizing. But the, the truth is, we do mess up because we live in a broken world. We, we make mistakes. We mess up with our words. We, we offend those we love. We bring conflict into our marriages. We disrupt our friendships. We get sideways with our parents. We, we uh, vent and get angry with our children. We, all of these kind of things happen. And so we make mistakes. And scripture speaks to this. James wrote about it in his letter to the church. He said, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. What's he saying? In other words, we are really good at making messes. And it's often our words that get us into trouble. Now, the obvious takeaway is that if we could control our mouth, if we could control what we say, we wouldn't screw up. We wouldn't sin. We, we wouldn't cause an offense. But the other side of this is the fact that it's not just what we say that causes us problems. It's what we don't say that if we would say it would make things right. That's what he's saying. If we could control our tongues, be perfect. Perfect just means whole or complete. And isn't that what we want in our relationships? That when there's been a breakdown, when, when there's been a division, when strife has entered in, don't we want there to be wholeness in our relationships? Well, if we could learn to say the right thing, that would change it and bring it together. So the question isn't, you know, what do we do if we mess up? Because you're going to mess up. You're going to do something wrong. You're going to say something wrong. You're going to offend because we live in a broken world. That's what James was saying. The question is, what do we do when we mess up? How do we respond when we fail? And I hope you hear me on this because I want you to know that how you respond to the sin in your life is probably the most important thing in your relationships. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but your mistakes can actually serve to move you forward. But that would be the question that you have to ask. When you mess up, does it move you forward or does it set you back? Because I don't know if you thought about this, but the conflict in your life, the, the, the times when you let people down, the times when you've offended people, the times when you've messed up can actually be catalysts to help your relationship be stronger if you respond the right way, if you learn to apologize appropriately. Because the inability to apologize is what neutralizes so many of our relationships. But to do it right, it starts with three little words, and this is my first point for you, and I have three of them, because anything less would be unbiblical, <laughs> is I am sorry. I am sorry. Go ahead and say that. I am sorry. 
These words, I'm sorry, they're three little words, and yet they're the most needed words to come out of our mouths and into our relationships. Yet I would also tell you they're three of the most abused words and misused words in our relationships. Because you got to understand, there is a right way and a wrong way to apologize. This isn't something that I made up. Scripture actually speaks to this. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he says, being sorry in the way God wants makes a person change his heart and life. But the kind of sorrow the world has will bring death. What's he saying? Just like there's a difference between up and down, just like there's a difference between right and wrong, there is a difference, there is a right way and a wrong way to apologize. You can say you're sorry and not actually truly be sorry. So we gotta master this craft because if we can figure out how to own our failures, how to own our mistakes, then they won't be able to control us. And he's saying that if you apologize the right way, it's gonna bring change in your relationship. If you apologize appropriately, it's gonna change your heart. It's gonna change your life. But so much of what we see in the world is wrong. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Like, you don't have to look very far. I said we live in the day of the non-apology. We live in an overly apologetic culture, the truth of it is. I mean, you can't go very far and not see apologies issued. But for all of the apologies being uttered into the air, people aren't getting better, they're getting worse. Often what happens is people have to tweet out an apology to apologize for the initial apology tweet. Have you noticed that? It's like, I'm sorry what I said, I knew that wasn't the right thing to say, and so it's just apology after apology. My favorite is, my favorite non-apology is when somebody says, I'm sorry if I offended you. Come on, they're, they're, you're either sorry or you're not. There is no such thing as conditional humility. So when you say the words, I'm sorry, Here's what you need to know. You need to communicate responsibility and regret. A good apology, when you say these words, I am sorry, what you're communicating is responsibility and regret. You need to own your responsibility for how you acted and you need to express regret for your actions. So many times we fail to do that when we're apologizing, don't we? What we say is, I'm sorry, but. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry I'm late, but the traffic. I'm sorry I hurt you, but I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but you make me so mad sometimes. I'm sorry, but. Listen, you can either apologize or you can make an excuse, but you cannot do both. When you use the word but in your apology, what you're saying is everything before it, I don't mean. Everything after it is what I really mean. And if you're anything like me, that means that you've given a lot of sorry, not sorries, apologies. 
Because the purpose of an apology is to admit guilt. So when you apologize, you start with these words, I am sorry, and then shut up. Just, I am sorry. And don't say anything after that because everything you say is going to screw it up. Right? Just admit your guilt. It's not helpful. It wrecks everything. You always lose when you try to excuse. Now, there is something that you can say after the words, I am sorry. And this is what I want to tell you for my second point. I love you. I love you. I admit, it probably seems a little bit weird to say I love you in the middle of an apology. And that's precisely why I'm telling you to do it. Because it's usually the furthest thing from our mind. That's why I'm bringing it up. And I know some of you are like, ah, see, you are talking about romantic relationships. Otherwise, you wouldn't say I love you. No, not at all. I would tell you that really these three little words are probably some of the most neglected words in all of our relationships. Whatever your relationship is, whether it's with your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, a friend. In fact, going back to the text, Jesus was talking about the words we say to our sister, our brother, And likely there's a spiritual connotation there. But what you need to see is that the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity is for offense. That's why no one can make you mad like someone you really love. No one can hurt you like someone you've given your heart to. And sometimes I see people, they're they're so close and they're, they're... They've given their hearts to each other, and they're so loyal, and they end up as bitter enemies. And I wonder, how in the world did they ever get to this point? And I would tell you, it's because of a lack of these three little words, I love you. See, if saying I'm sorry is supposed to communicate that you own your responsibility and you're expressing regret, then saying I love you would be communicating reassurance and relationship. It's reassurance and relationship. That's what I'm talking about. And you got, like in this text, I was always kind of confused about it. Because Jesus, he starts out and he's talking about your sister and your brother. And then he transitions to your friend. And then by the end of it, he's talking about your enemy. And I always thought he's talking about like three different groups of people. But what if he's not? Well, what if the person that starts out as your sister and your brother, that if you don't learn how to apologize and you don't deal with the offense appropriately, they end up becoming your enemy. That's why it made me think when he made it a point to say, make the first move. Don't wait for them. You go to them. And I know some of you are like, well, pastor, you don't understand. Like, like this person legitimately doesn't love me. Like this person... They don't want anything to do with me. I'm not even sure they love Jesus. You know, they're not my sister. My I, I, this isn't going to work. They, they won't even talk to me. I know they don't see us as friends. That's exactly why I'm telling you to say, I love you. You need to communicate reassurance and establish relationship. In fact, Jesus went on to say this in the same chapter. He says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion hates your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. 
Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. So even if you think it's awkward and strange in the middle of your apology to say, I love you, I want to challenge you to say it. Say these three little words. You know, here's the thing is I make my kids do the same thing. When they get into an argument and I make them apologize and I make them reconcile. And yes, I said, I make them because it's not an option in our house. I make them. What do I make them do? I say, all right, you guys got to give each other a hug. Say, I love you. And it's either give each other a hug and say, I love you, or kiss your brother, and you know they're not going to do that. So I'm like, you, you get a choice here in the matter, but now why do I do that? Because what it's saying is, look, you, even though I was so mad at you, you are not my enemy. You're my brother or my sister. I, I love you. And it's easy to love someone when things are good, but love is really tested when things aren't good. Like, if you only say I love you in the relationship, like during the good times, when they've done something for you, that's what Jesus was talking about. Anybody can do that. You don't get a bonus for that. You really don't get an opportunity to demonstrate your love for someone until they hurt you. You really don't get an opportunity to give somebody your best until they've given you their worst. So that's why I'm gonna tell you, when you apologize, Say, I love you. But we're not done yet. There is one more thing to say. And that's this. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Forgiveness is the goal of an apology. It's to right the wrong that you did. To ask that the offense would be overlooked. So when you say you're sorry part that you cannot neglect is actually asking the question, will you forgive me? We can't use our apologies like grenades where we just kind of like lob them at people and we just expect them to, like they don't get a choice in that. I'm sorry, you gotta forgive me because I said those words. We can't do that. And what I wanna tell you is it's not an apology if you don't ask someone to forgive you. I hope you write that down. I hope you, it is not, an apology if you don't ask someone to forgive you. The beauty of please forgive me is that it gives that person power over you. You're putting yourself under their power. When, when you did something wrong that warranted the apology, when, when you took something from them, when you violated them, you're asking them to forgive you. And by doing that, you're acknowledging that you want them to do something that they don't have to do. They would never be in that position if you had not done that thing. And I understand like 
breaking out these different elements of the apology, breaking into different parts. I am sorry. I love you. Please forgive me. Like different parts of that are gonna hit us all in different ways. Like for some of us, we don't have a problem saying the words. We have a problem like living it out. Some of us would rather, we can't say it, but we'd rather just demonstrate it. But can I tell you, if you are a controlling person, this is gonna be the hardest part for you. Because when you're saying, please forgive me, it is out of your control at this point. It's, it's you're saying, it's their choice whether or not they're gonna allow this obstruction that you caused to be removed. You're putting yourself at their mercy. And that's why I think it was interesting that Jesus said, when you see your enemy, when you're out on the street, which I don't know if that's like, kind of pictured like you've been kicked out of the relationship now. When you're out on the street and you see your enemy, make the first move. See, don't wait for them to offer forgiveness. Go up to them and ask for it. Now, again, I'm not talking about what you need from the other person. We're just talking about our responsibility. Because when you're asking for forgiveness, what you're asking for is resolution and restoration. Resolution and restoration. You've gotta humble yourself. And you think about it, that's really how we are restored in relationship with Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Like scripture says that this is the way that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, okay? So we were in the wrong, we were in offense, God was in the right. How do we enter into relationship with him? Come before him and say, I am sorry. God, I'm, I'm sorry for the sin I've done. I love you. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sin. I, I wanna live my, I wanna surrender my life to your plan, not live for, for my own purposes and pursuits. God, I love you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. And let me live for you. See, it's, it's when you do that, scripture says that we're made new, that our sins are forgiven, that we're restored into right relationship. And if that's how we do it with Jesus, why wouldn't we do it with our other relationships? We're talking about the shape of your heart, but I wonder if the shape is best seen from a bended knee. When you humble yourself and you get down and you say, I'm sorry. I love you, please forgive me.